to Dermatology UK, the podcast where we talk about all things skin. I'm Emmanuel. And I'm Ashley. And today we're going to be talking about acne. Acne is such a hot topic for such a huge amount of people, but when does a pimple become a problem? There's a huge amount of information and a lot of disinformation out there, which is why we thought we'd seek out expert help. Indeed. So today on the podcast, we have Dr. Adil Shiraz. He is a consultant dermatologist at one of the leading NHS hospitals in London. His work has been published in various journals and he has presented in multiple national and international conferences. But you may also recognise him from his work with the British Skin Foundation and his appearance on TV show Skin A&E and Dr Christian will see you. So thank you so much for making time for us today. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So can we start with anatomy and physiology? But the basics, what is acne? Okay, right. So... Um, if you want to understand acne, you really need to understand what the pilospatious unit is. And um, a lot of dermatologists or doctors listening to this will probably know what that is, but maybe the layperson doesn't. So um, your body consists of lots of pores and hair follicle openings. And whether you have a hair there or not, it doesn't really matter because that opening will be also attached to a gland, which is an oil gland known as a sebaceous gland. And essentially this gland and your hair follicle is what um, results in the eventual formation of what we call a comedone. So Mm. there are four things essentially associated with acne. Number one is that patients will often have um, genetically a predisposition to producing extra cells on the surface just around that opening of the hair follicle. These extra cells become piled up and they become really sticky. So they essentially clog that pore. Now you've got oil production, which should actually be released from the pore, but now you've blocked it. So you've got, that oil has got nowhere to go. Um, So it continues to fill up in that uh, gland and just under your skin. You also have a bacteria called P. acnes, Propionibacterium acnes, which actually recently has been renamed as Cutibacterium acnes, yeah, Cutibacterium. <laughs> so um, that bacteria feeds on the oil, um, and as it feeds, it can cause uh, inflammation, um, and it causes the red spots that you might see, the pustules you might see, the bumps or the lumps that you might see. So all these factors together form either the comedone the open or closed comedone, or an inflamed lesion, which is red. And who is it that gets acne? So anybody can get acne. And in fact, it's one of the most common conditions in the world. And up to 85% of patients between the ages of 15 and 25 get acne. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're a boy or a girl, um, anybody can get acne. Um, it's the most one of the most common things as dermatologists we see in our practice and probably one of the most common things that GPs also see in their practice. Okay. And you hear the phrase inflammatory acne. What is inflammatory acne? What's different from that and normal acne? Okay. So um, imagine... So first of all, we need to understand what a comedone is. So a comedone yeah. is the pore that has now become blocked. So you also hear things, uh, 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 open comedones, closed comedones, whiteheads, blackheads. So let's just quickly go through those as well. So if you have um, a pore that is closed and it has a layer of skin overlying it, that's a closed comedone. It's also called a whitehead. If that pore opens up, so if the superficial layer of skin opens up and there isn't a layer there, 
then all the gunk in that gland is exposed to the air. It oxidizes and becomes black. Mm. So an open comedone is a blackhead. So if you just have comedones, you just have basic acne. But if you have bacteria that starts affecting these areas and it becomes red and inflamed, then you get inflammatory acne. So inflammation essentially means you have redness there. You might have a pustule there. You might have an inflamed red painful spot. That's inflammatory acne. Sounds sore. Um, <laughs> and something that I tend to get as well. But adult acne, can you... Is that its own thing or can you, I suppose, if you're a teenager and it doesn't go away, do you then progress into adult acne or can you get adult acne without ever having teen, you know, having it in your teens? Yeah, so you absolutely can get adult acne without having it in your teens. Um, there's no sort of clear definition when acne becomes adult acne. Generally, um, in my sort of practice, probably beyond the age of about 25, maybe, we'll say that um, the patient now has adult acne. And it does become a little bit more challenging to treat adult acne. It just seems a bit more resistant. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, you can get acne um, as a teenager. You can not have acne as a teenager and get it as an adult, absolutely. You then sometimes need to investigate other potential causes for the acne. What, what other type of causes would be for acne? So um, the main causes, so let's look at standard adolescent yeah. or teenage acne. Yeah. So the main causes are your genetics. Mm -hmm. And we think that there is... Um, the body in some way reacts to this bacteria that's in everybody's skin, this P. acne or this cutibacterium um, in the skin. This is, everybody has this and it's just how we respond to it. And there are thoughts that your genetics determine how you respond to this, uh, this bacteria. And if you respond to it in an exaggerated way, you may develop, uh, develop acne or pustules or inflamed lesion. So one thing is your genetics. And we also know that if you have a family history of acne, so if you're, one of your parents has acne, there's a higher chance that you will have acne. So genetics. But I get lots of patients in my clinic who say, you know, I don't have anybody in my family with acne, yet I have it. So there are other factors that we need to look into. So hormones. So Acne, of course, tends to get worse around your uh, around puberty, um, and that's because there's um, an uh, an exaggerated or a, a hormone response at that time. So testosterone is increased. So the two hormones involved are testosterone and dihydrotestosterone (DHT). These two hormones are increased during puberty, and they also play a role in increased oil production. Then you need to think about your diet, and there's lots of things on diet, and we can discuss this a bit more detail later yeah. on, but there's factors that dietary um, modifications may or may not help with acne, but we can have a discussion about that. Um, stress, stress might make acne worse, and there are some papers that talk about stress and acne. So it's a multifactorial condition, genetics, hormones, stress, anxiety, and your diet. Everything plays a small role. Yeah, it's so troublesome. But is it is there a cure for acne, or is it is it a chronic condition? Um, so for the majority of our patients, there is a cure, and there are really good treatments for acne. In fact, it's one of the conditions where we do actually have really good treatments for mm. it. And if you treat it early and treat it correctly, then you can absolutely cure it. But then we have a small cohort of patients where the acne prolongs, or they develop later in life. And then it becomes this chronic condition, which unfortunately they may have for a very, very long time. And again, we can manage it reasonably well. 
um, but it does require intensive treatment, regular follow-ups, a good skincare regime. Um, but for the majority of people, I would say we can cure it. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. Um, so if we start at a teenager's journey, so they've just started getting acne, what's the very first thing that they should look to do in their skincare regime? Okay, um, I think so. first of all, you need to determine what type of acne they've got. How severe mm -hmm. is it? Does it scar? Is it inflammatory? Is it just comedonal? So do you just have whiteheads or blackheads? Or do you have an inflammatory component, i.e. do you have red spots with it as well? Because then the treatments will start to di diversify depending on what, what type of acne you have. So if you've just got purely comedonal acne, so you've just got whiteheads, blackheads, and you have no red spots or pustules, then you just want to maybe initially think about over-the-counter treatments. So you might want to think about benzoyl peroxide or salicylic acid or azelaic acid. And you can buy a lot of these things over the counter. And what they will do essentially is they will target some of the bacteria in your skin. They will reduce some of the inflammation in the skin and they will also help with opening up your pores. So that's what they will do. But if you start getting the red spots with the inflammation, mm -hmm. then it's probably best that you see um, either your GP or a dermatologist for something a little bit more potent. And that may involve a topical tretinoin, which we can discuss a bit uh, in more detail, or antibiotics. Um, or if you have really severe acne with severe scarring, then you may want to even consider oral loracutane. Okay, and to get, we'll say, oral roaccutane, do you need to be referred into a dermatologist or does your can your GP prescribe it? So usually GPs cannot prescribe roaccutane. Okay. Um, it is a secondary care, i.e. you have to come to the hospital prescription and you have to be assessed by a dermatologist. And you also have to meet certain criteria before we put you on the roaccutane mm -hmm. um, because it is, it is quite a potent drug. It has lots of side effects. So as dermatologists, we don't take it lightly and, and patients will often have read up quite a lot about the drug. So they're also nervous about it. Um, so ideally you normally have had to fail a couple of antibiotics and your acne has to be bad enough for you to go on roaccutane. So mm -hmm. you have maybe scarring acne, inflammatory acne. In some of my patients, um, if I see that a parent has had really bad scarring acne, I might put the child on roaccutane quicker than I would have because mm -hmm. I can see the route that they may go down on. So it's yeah. not always what you see, but sometimes things you may have to predict what may happen in the future. And with the Roaccutane, uh, I've heard a lot about it in the press because in the past there were articles relating it to depression. Uh, is that a true link? So if you read up, uh, yeah, if you type into Google, you'll find lots of articles, yeah. depression, suicide, um, suicidal ideation. And in practice, um, it's something we very rarely see. Um, there was a recent, um, so in, in the States they have um, the uh, they have something called I pledge, which most of the, a lot of the females have to sign up to before they can start roaccutane. And they had a lot of data from this, and they looked at this data and they found that actually there wasn't any real relationship between roaccutane and depression or anxiety. Wow. Now, saying that in my practice, I have seen the link. I have seen some patients who um, become low in their mood. Um, Often these are patients who already have anxiety issues or depress, depression, and when you put them on the medication, it seems to exacerbate it. But what you've also got to remember is that when you've got a 15, 16, 17-year-old coming to you for acne, it's probably the first time they've actually seen a doctor about anything. Yeah. So if they've had anxiety or depression, 
then maybe nobody's actually picked up on it. And the first time they've seen a, a doctor was because of their acne. So it's a good chance for you to actually assess their mental health. And it may be that the anxiety or, or depression has already been there and it's got nothing to do with the medication, but it's something that we need to think about more in our practice. Hmm. And do you find that when you, if they do get this experience of depression and you are concerned and you stop them, is it something that resolves straight away or does it take a bit of time to, for their moods to improve? So the, I have had to stop a few patients, not many, okay. and I've treated lots and lots of patients um, with Ruakitane, mm-hmm. and I can probably count you know, on one hand, the number of patients I've had to stop because of mood problems. And okay. all of these patients have been um, already suffering from depression okay. before they started the medication. Mm-hmm. So when I've stopped them, their depression, they've had to be assessed by um, somebody and put on appropriate treatment. But it's never been severe. Luckily, thank God, I've not had any sort of severe suicidal ideation or any major problems with it. It's just been more anxiety issues or their depression seems to be getting slightly worse and we've just sort of put a hold on their treatment just to uh, prevent any deterioration. Um, I think we, as, as dermatologists with people on Roaccutane, we do follow them up very regularly. We see them almost on a monthly basis. We have questionnaires for their mood, anxiety, and it's something we take seriously. It's not a common side effect. I don't think you should put, put people off from taking Roaccutane, mm-hmm. but it's something we do take into consideration. Yeah, definitely, because it's it's quite a tricky one in a way because that age group and patients with acne in general tend to have low mood without ever being on the drug. So it must be quite difficult to ascertain whether it's from the drug or, as you said already, you know, that they, you know, it was an undi- undiagnosed issue. Um, so it's not easy. It's definitely not easy. No, absolutely. And also, uh, I think I remember that, um, you know, a young teenager will maybe also having other issues um, that are related to the skin. So they may be depressed Definitely. because of their skin. Yeah, so we yeah. need to deal with that as well. So we need yeah. to treat their um, skin to give them better self-confidence. And sometimes you know, as a teenager, one spot can be, you know, uh, it can it can keep you home. It can prevent you from going to school, mm. embarrassment, social isolation. Yeah. We see all of these things with acne. There are lots of papers to, to, to sort of verify this, that we see patients who do self-isolate because of their acne. So we need to balance the risks and benefits of the drug uh, with improving their skin, but also improving their mental health. Brilliant. So thank you very much for that. I would just like to go back to about treatments, actually, because I just want to talk about uh, face washing, because I find a lot of patients almost become transfixed sometimes with the idea that their skin's unclean and that's why they have this acne. Could you shine a bit of light onto that, please? Of course. So I think... um, Face wash, washing in acne is important, but it's not got anything to do with your hygiene as, as such. I mean, if you left your makeup on all, you know, for two or three days in a row and you clogged up all the pores, then yeah, maybe you will break out in acne. So you do need to wash your face once or twice a day with the appropriate cleanser. Um, the bacteria in your skin, remember, it's it's commensal, which means it lives there anyway. Everybody has it. It's a matter of keeping it under control. And some cleansers can help you do that. Um, but over cleansing will also have the opposite effect because you, if you clean your skin too much or if you exfoliate too much, your skin will produce more oil to replace all the oil you've just stripped off and that will just cause a further breakout. So you need to be careful in using the right cleansers and not over exfoliating or over cleansing your skin. 
Yeah, definitely. And the type of foaming cleanser they use, you can get different types. And I know, so sorry, I said foaming cleanser, but I know historically foaming cleansers aren't something, is that correct, you would want people to use? Something a bit milder? I, I think, I mean, I don't think there's... Um any right or wrong here. You've just got to see what your skin type is and what suits you. I know there are quite a few foaming cleansers on the market. I don't think they're actually foam, to be honest. I think they're just <laughs> more creams without the foaming, but they're labeled as foaming cleansers. Um, if they work, great. Um, just don't overuse them. Um, and, uh, and I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. It's just what works for you um, based on your skin type. And what you're looking for there is just simple regime nothing too fancy but you did mention at the start some you mentioned uh did you mention niacinamide and salicylic acid are they things so if you've got yeah so if you've got salicylic acid which is good for your skin and helps with uh, acne if you've got niacinamide there are lots of studies to show niacinamide gel is very good for your skin the advantage of niacinamide is that it's not really an antibiotic or antimicrobial so you don't get resistance to it so that's good for your skin um and then there's uh, benzoyl peroxide as well mm. so benzoyl peroxide is great it's a really good treatment, but it's really irritant. And that's one of the problems. And that's why people are often, it often, you know, puts people off using it because of the irritancy. But it's a really good treatment, benzoperoxide. You just need to make sure you've got the right strength. It's, there's no need for you to go for the really high strength. Try, you know, 4%, 5% is absolutely mm. fine to use. Make it, use it regularly um, and it will help. And are these things you can get in, you know, boots or your or super drug, your local supermarkets? Absolutely. You can buy them all over the counter. Um, there are, of course, some higher percentage ones that you might need prescription for, mm -hmm. but that will depend on the degree of acne you've got. It's a good place yeah. to start with comedonal acne. Over-the-counter products are absolutely fine to use. Perfect. That's good to know. Nice, affordable, easy, accessible <laughs> creams. Yeah. And what about uh, LED masks? I see more and more of them, people, you know, Instagram influencers taking pictures with these huge light-up masks on. Can they help with the bacteria that cause acne? So I, I mean, I, the first time I saw these LED masks was I think three or four years ago, maybe at a conference in the States and one company, uh, which I won't name was, um, was big on producing these LED masks. Um, now, there are studies that look at blue and red light, which is essentially what these masks um, create. And the blue and red light have anti-inflammatory properties. They have some antibacterial properties. And yeah, they, they probably do have some effect on the bacteria on your skin, um, but not a big effect. I think if you had somebody with really bad inflammatory acne that had lots of bacteria and you put a mask on their face, you might see a little bit of a reduction because they do, they do target the bacteria to some degree. But I also know that recently a lot of these masks have been recalled. Um, and oh. they're not in use any well they, they shouldn't be selling them because there were problems with eye protection and people were getting some issues around their eyes so I'm not sure whether they're actually still available on the market because, because they have, a lot of them have been recalled um, so in lieu of these sort of um, uh, masks there are more pen devices which you can just use to put over individual spots but you know that can take a long time then and what about toothpaste oh no I love toothpaste don't ruin it for me <laughs> So yeah, I've had this question before actually, and toothpaste, um, yeah, don't use it. It's very <laughs> abrasive. It'll cause more inflammation in the spot. Um, I, I've had my own friends and cousins swear by it, but you know, I, that's, you know, anecdotal evidence is an evidence. So it, it will be, it's quite abrasive, don't use it. It'll just cause more inflammation and probably a worse scar. 
Yeah, no, I mean, from my own, from my own experience, toothpaste, when you've got nothing else, it will dry it, but it does tend to really irritate the surrounding skin. <laughs> um, another one that I suppose everyone has at home is Sudacream. Does that do anything? Yeah. No, no. Sudacream <laughs> will not work. It's just a barrier cream. It will not work. Okay. I mean, I remember writing an article about funny treatments for acne scars, and um, uh, we came across quite a few people using urine on their skin. Yes, I've um, heard that. As I, well, for something yeah. in the ammonia, I have yeah. no idea how it works. It obviously doesn't. Um, but uh, yeah, people will use strange things. <laughs> Apple cider vinegar is quite popular now I've heard for that, acne yeah. scarring. Um, again, it, it, it's, a, it's an acid and it irritates, it can irritate your skin. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure there's any good evidence that it actually works. Great. So let's loop back. So earlier you mentioned diet, and I'd quite like to bring yeah. that back up because I've heard that, is it dark chocolate can be good? Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> so th there's an interesting thing about diet. I don't know. I mean, a few years ago, there was uh, um, an article released about a small island uh, just by Papua New Guinea called Kitava. Mm. So this island has about two and a half thousand people that live there now. And at the time, they had looked at 1,200 people on that island and they thought, let's have a look at their skin. And just to talk about a bit about their diet. So they were essentially, their diet was mostly comprised of um, tubers. So um, sweet potato, yams, and things that release sugar into your blood really slowly. So foods with a low glycemic index. Mm -hmm. They also had a lot of fish in their diet, lots of fruits in their diet. They had virtually zero alcohol, zero coffee, tea, sugar, refined sugar, um, oh, no. and zero cereal, zero, zero fizzy drinks. So that was negligible in their diet. Yeah. When they looked at these 1,200 patients, they did not find a single patient with acne. Wow. Not a single patient had even one spot on their skin. So, and then there was this question of, is there something in their diet? Mm. Is it genetics? And um, this is probably a mix of both. They also looked at a lot of uh, um, a population, um, so the Inuit population in um, Alaska, um, and they found that acne, when they lived in their own environments and had their own diets, they didn't have any acne. And when they moved to the States, for example, on a Western diet, they developed acne. So is there something in diet? Maybe. We don't know. It's very controversial. There's lots of conflicting evidence if you look up on, on, on articles and research. And what we do know is that if you have foods with a high glycemic index, that means that if you have a food that releases sugar into your blood really quickly, mm -hmm. then you may develop some acne. So mm -hmm. possibly there's something there. Um, it is controversial, as I said, but it's always a good idea to have a good balanced diet, reduce sugary foods in your diet, and it may help. There's also a question on dairy. And yeah. I, some of the studies from dairy, the good studies date back to the early 40s. And they looked at whether full, fit, uh, full fat milk was good for you or skim milk. And actually, studies show that full fat milk is better than skim milk. Again, we're not entirely sure why. Um, uh, something to do with vitamin A being absorbed in the full fat milk better than in skim milk, because vitamin A we know is good for your skin. Mm -hmm. um, so we don't know. But there is, there is something to do with diet. So I normally, on the whole, do advise my patients to cut down on their sugary foods. Um, but I don't, I'm not sort of an advocate for sort of cutting out things and, and, and you know, taking out dairy or taking out chocolate or milk entirely, uh, banning things. I don't think that really works. 
Yeah, it can be dangerous as well. There was an article, and this isn't the best source of news, but on the Lad Bible. Oh my God. <laughs> but it got advertised to me the other day. And I thought I'd click on it because it did say going vegan cured my acne. And then when you read it, actually you saw that, yes, she changed her diet, but the, the person then started using moisturisers because they couldn't find a moisturiser before. And then she was then drinking at least three gallons of water a day. So actually there was loads of confounding lifestyle changes she had made. So... I was actually like, uh, probably wasn't just the diet that might have helped there. It sounds like she did quite a bit. Absolutely. I think, um, so with the, um, uh, I've had a lot of patients, not just for acne, but I've also had it for um, eczema, psoriasis. And you will always find these cases where patients have said they've gone on a vegan diet um, and their acne is clear, their psoriasis is cleared. And, you know, maybe it did clear for them, um, but there's no strong evidence to suggest that if you if you go on restrictive diets, that it's going to help your acne or it's going to help your um, psoriasis or eczema or any other skin condition. There's no strong evidence to prove that. And on the note of diet, there's no supplements um, that there's any evidence to show will improve acne. Um, no, I mean, uh, vitamin A... Um, things like zinc, vitamin E, we know they're good for your skin and they do help. Whether they will clear your acne, yeah. probably not, Hello, probably but not. there's no harm in taking them. Okay. But there are some studies actually looking at uh, vitamin B12 and other vit B vitamins and excessive use of that can cause acne. So it's, ah. you've got to be careful not to overload your system with yeah. B12, for example. There are lots of cases where B12 has caused acne that, breakouts. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, can I ask you a question about products non-kimodogenic products you hear that thrown yeah. around a lot does that mean anything and do they work i think look non-comedogenic essentially means that they won't block your pore mm -hmm. and any product that you put on your face you don't want to block your pore because mm -hmm. if you block that pore you you can cause breakout of acne so yes if you're treating your skin with any skincare products they should always be non-comedogenic so they shouldn't block your pore so Picking spots. Now, I know yeah. you're gonna I know what you're gonna say, but if you've got an <laughs> awful whitehead or you've got a big event coming up, can you do it? Or is there a better way of getting rid of it in you know a fast In a short period of time. Yeah. No. I think um I completely understand why people do it, but you will end up scarring your skin. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you pop a spot, you will cause more inflammation because that trauma and that release of pus will cause more cells to aggregate there and it will become redder. Um, and in, I don't think you'll get rid of it any quicker. You may end up causing a scar there, which you wouldn't have had if it healed by itself. Mm -hmm. So I'd advise not to pop your spot. Use either um, a dermatologically approved um, treatment by a dermatologist or consider things like um, benzoyl peroxide or the topical agents to try and get rid of it if you can. It's difficult. It's a difficult situation. You've got a big event, you've got a big spot. I understand why people do it, but don't. And on that note, so say it's, say it is your wedding and, yeah. and you have access to a dermatologist. I've heard of people yeah. getting steroid injections into the spot. Do they work? So if you've got a big spot, yes, they do work. And I've done it a few times and I've done it 
for that exact reason, where <laughs> one of my patients had a wedding a few weeks down the line. They had a big acne spot. And yes, I did inject it. It's not something we regularly do or routinely want to do. But if there's no other treatment um, method and it's, it's, we use it as a last resort, but only for really big mm-hmm. inflammatory or cystic spots, not for the smaller ones. It won't really work for that. For big cystic spots, it does help. Okay. And on that note, I have one more question. I have read somewhere that if you have a big spot like that, if you put on 2% salicylic and then a little bit of hydrocortisone, it tends to help? Um, the, the, I think, yeah, there may be a, a degree of truth in that. Steroids will help a little bit with the inflammation, but steroids can also increase blood circulation in the area. So, you know, it, it may actually not help because the redness may increase, although the inflammation may go down. So you've got to be careful with topical steroid use. I, we normally don't recommend steroids to be used on the face unless it's under a dermatological supervision. Okay, so don't pick your spots, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, So a bit of a hot topic at the moment is this concept of fungal acne. Does it exist? What is it? Okay. So um, you're right. It's actually, it's become quite topical over the last year. I think two or three years ago, we never used to hear about fungal acne as such, but it has become quite topical more recently. Um, And I think it's probably because patients are maybe trying to find other causes to why they have acne. Mm -hmm. But when, as a dermatologist... When you say fungal acne, we think of pitisporum folliculitis. That's what we think of. Pitisporum folliculitis is not caused by a bacteria. It's caused by a yeast. The yeast lives on everybody's skin. It's called malassezia. And um, it usually resides in area where there's high oil production. So it will be present often on your forehead, around your nose, maybe on your chin area, your chest and your back. So on the whole... When we see this type of problem, we tend to usually see it quite localized, so around your forehead or your chin or jawline or on your chest and back. So I think that's what people refer to when they talk about fungal acne. So it's not really acne because acne is caused by a bacteria. This is more of folliculitis, which is inflammation of the hair follicle by the yeast. So the treatment is very different. So if you start using antibiotics, it won't really work. Okay. You need anti-yeast preparations or you need an antifungal treatment or an oral antifungal, which also works really, really well. So it is different. It's not the same as acne. It's slightly different lo- locations. It's often clustered. And one differentiating factor is that it can often be itchy. Acne usually is not itchy, whereas fungal acne or pityosporum folliculitis can be itchy. Hmm. That was going to be my next question, how to send them apart, but that's quite clear if it's itchy or not. <laughs> that's good. So, and they often look they often look a lot more juicier than acne lesions, so a lot yeah. thicker, um, a little bit larger. They seem to form from deeper within the skin, and you might find clusters of them rather than the sort of widespread spots that you get. You might find clusters on your forehead, for example, or a cluster on your chest or your back. Fantastic. So... Going back to the patient's journey, so they've started off with topical creams at home, hasn't worked, they've gone to their GP and they're offered so either topical antibiotics or antibiotics. Um, another treatment that you mentioned, which is very commonly offered to young women, is the contraceptive combined pill. I have a few questions around this, um, but my, my first one is, is there a specific skin-friendly combined pill that is more effective than the rest? 
So you want to have, as you say, the combined pill, not mm -hmm. just a progesterone-only pill. So combined pill will work better. And there are a couple, two or three um, sort of approved ones for acne, and they do work reasonably well. Um, and your GP or your dermatologist will know which ones these are, and they can suggest that those particular ones for you. Okay. So yes, there are ones that, are, that work better for your skin. They need to be combined. And you've got to make sure that you don't have any other risk factors, you know, reasons why you can't go on the pill. Yes, yeah. It is a good treatment. It works very well, and um, a lot of patients will be quite comfortable using them because it also serves as, obviously, contraception as well. Um, but what we sometimes find, and in fact, just you know, um, a few hours ago, I had a patient who um, had been on the pill for many, many years and then stopped and then had a severe acne breakout. Yes. And the reason is actually because the patients had acne all this time, but the pill has just suppressed it, and now they've come off it, they've developed the acne. So um, sometimes it can mask the acne for a long period of time and you come off it and you suddenly think, what's happening here? I've developed acne all of a sudden. It hasn't been all of a sudden. You've always had it. It's just, you know, it's just manifested now because you've stopped the treatment. Yeah, no, you've completely answered my next question there. Um, it was whether it was a good idea to come off to see whether your acne was still there. Um, and if you did, you know, if your acne was to come back, would it be immediate or would it be a couple of months down the line? That you'd notice it? I mean, it'd be very variable. I think a lot of people, it'll be probably, um, it won't be immediate, but it may take a bit of time for it to recur. Mm -hmm. um, but that will, of course, vary from patient to patient. Um, if, I mean, you can't be on the contraceptive pill lifelong, of course. A lot of yeah. people will have to come off it for various reasons. Some patients have migraines, some people might have family history of, you know, um, clots, etc., breast cancer. So there's reasons why you would come off it. And if you come off it and you break out, then your next step would probably be either going on an antibiotic or Roaccutane. The issue will then be is that you will probably fall into the older category where you may well have adult acne. It will be harder to treat. Yeah. Um, and we see this quite a lot. And then it can be a lot harder to treat uh, in that stage of your life, unfortunately. And there's a higher relapse rate. And then you have... I suppose another reason for coming off the pill would be for, you know, having a family or pregnancy. And there's a lot of these treatments yeah. you can't use. Is there any, is there anything that you can use during pregnancy that is effective? I mean, some of the topical treatments are fine. Okay. Um, and again, remember with regards to pregnancy, there's not much data because you don't want to be doing experiments on pregnant women, of course, yeah. uh, rightly yeah. so. Um, so there's not all that much data, but uh, we know there are some antibiotics that are safe. So the folks on the tetracyclines are not safe, okay. but things like erythromycin or amoxicillin are safe. Um, topical products such as salicylic acid or azelaic acid are probably safe. Tretinoins are a complete no-no. So whether they're topically applied or retinol or tretinoin or oral racutane is a complete no-no. Um, so we are limited. Yes, definitely mm -hmm. limited to treatments when you're pregnant. There are still things we can do, but you know, the, 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 the range of treatment becomes very narrow. Yeah, yeah, no, understandably. And can I talk to you about uh, sunshine and acne? Some people think that, you know, there's the sunshine on their skin helps dry it out, which helps with the acne. Yeah. Is that a cure or is that not recommended? Um, so one thing you've got to remember is that, so the, the way that the LED lights, where you have blue and red light, mm -hmm. they do help with reducing some of the bacteria. So... Yeah. There may be something in there. There may be something with regards to sun reduction in bacteria, possibly increase, uh, decrease in the acne spots. 
However, what you've also got to remember is that when people are often on holidays or in the sun, they're usually a lot more relaxed, mm -hmm. less stressed out. So maybe that's got something to do with it. Yeah. If you're in the sun for prolonged periods of time, you will unfortunately cause more pigmentation on your skin. So if you've got any spots, they'll become darker. So you've mm -hmm. got to bear that in mind as well. So we don't recommend sun as a treatment for acne on the, on the whole. Um, but if it makes you feel better and if you feel it helps, then absolutely fine. Of course, be careful in the sun. Don't go red. Use your sunblock, um, which we advise all our patients to do. And you mentioned um, so dark spots and pigmentation there. What is the kind of first line treatment for that? So if you're getting, um, so one way, I mean, sometimes when you see patients with Asian skin or black skin, you might not see the red spots uh, because of the skin tone, mm -hmm. but you will see lots of dark marks. And that gives you an indication, actually, that this person has had significantly bad acne in the past because they've got all these post-inflammatory pigmentary marks on their face. So it gives you an indication that I need to treat this patient a bit more aggressively than what yeah. I think I need to. So it's important to look out for these dark marks. So if you've got dark marks on your skin or post-inflammatory pigmentation is what we call it, then topical treatments like azelaic acid or salicylic acid will work quite well. Tretinoin topically will work also quite well with both the acne and also the pigmentation. I had a question about pollution. Um, so living in central London, um, yeah. are we more, I suppose, exposed to getting worse acne because of where we live? I think you may be more prone to clogging up your pores um, okay. because of all the environmental dust um, or other pollutants in the environment. Um, so if you're cleansing regularly, you're probably fine. Um, but yeah, there may well be something to do with pollution and acne. And also, um, I think if we uh, think about current times yeah. um, and we're, we're thinking about um, COVID, we're thinking about people wearing masks. We have, I've seen in my practice, a lot of patients coming in with acne in the distribution of where the masks are being placed. Yes, yeah. And that's mostly uh, because you've got an occlusive, um, obviously, layer on your skin now, yeah, yeah. which is trapping dirt. It's trapping moisture. You're, you're getting oil production, which is being trapped in. So you're getting more um, acne breakouts. And, and they sort of dubbed it mask knee mm. now, sort of acne caused by masks, essentially. So we need to bear that in mind as well. So, yeah, there is something to do with environmental pollutants and acne. And also masks and acne um, are also a factor and a thing now. And I would normally advise people to use things like benzoyl peroxide or salicylic acid to wash their face with. Um, uh, a, a, a water-based moisturizer is always a good idea. So a non-comedogenic water-based moisturizer, not an oil-based moisturizer, is a good idea before you apply your mask. Make sure you wash your face at night before you sleep. Get off all that dirt, that grime, makeup, um, oil off the skin. Bro, and what about, you talked about occlusion. Can you get acne under occlusion under tight clothes as well? For example, like gym gear. Absolutely, yeah, definitely can. And that, that will be more in the folliculitis category. So when you okay. talk about the fungal acne or mm -hmm. the pitocerone folliculitis, we often see that in occlusive areas. So uh, tight clothing can cause that um, because it causes an increase in oil production, increased sweat, which will then clog the pores and you'll get a breakout. So yes, absolutely can see that. So ideally, as soon as you've had your workout, um, you'd shower straight away if you're prone to, prone to acne. Is there any specific washes that are helpful in the shower 
Yeah, so you can use any antibacterial wash. Um, try not to use soaps because they will dry your skin out further mm. and you might make the oil production worse, so increase oil production. So don't use sort of bar soaps. Use a um, medicated or use a lotion-based wash for your, for your body, which is antibacterial. Um, and you, for your face, for example, you can use a salicylic acid wash or a benzoyl peroxide wash. And I had an, another question, actually, while we're on the topic of gym. Um, we talked about supplements earlier, and I did hear people talking about whether so gym supplements or extra protein or creatine that they tend to take pre-workouts, do they influence acne at all? Uh, yeah, I've seen that in some of my, in some of my younger patients. Um, they're a lot of these protein shakes mm. and some vegan sort of supplements or creatine supplements. Um, and I don't think there's any strong evidence, but anecdotally in some of my patient cohorts, I have seen uh, acne breakouts in this in this group. Okay, that's interesting. And then steroids as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not that you should of be course, taking yeah. them. <laughs> Anabolic steroids, yeah, oral steroids will definitely cause um, breakouts of acne, yep. Yeah, so as we've mentioned <clears throat> earlier, um, obviously acne can be quite upsetting and troublesome um, for everyone, really. And um, what is the psychosocial impact for these patients? So I think um, there was uh, a, uh, a survey done by the British Skin Foundation a few years ago, and they looked at about just over 2,000 patients, and they found that 20% of patients has some form of suicidal ideation or attempted suicide. 20%, that's huge. Yeah. So there is a definite psychological impact with acne, and sometimes it doesn't matter how bad the acne is because it, that varies from patient to patient. It can be mild acne can have a significant effect and impact on your mental health and your mood. So it is important, number one, to I guess treat the acne because yeah. that that often solves a lot of these issues. But you need to be able to talk about it with somebody. So we, in a lot of hospitals, we have psychotherapists, we have psychologists who are able to deal with the psychosocial impact of lots of skin conditions, not just acne, but other conditions as well. So it's important to talk about it, see a dermatologist, get treatment early. Um, and, and, and there are lots of also help groups and online um, websites and mindfulness sites and apps that can help you with any of your skin conditions, including acne. Definitely. I think as well, there's a few uh, models now on Instagram that are kind of spreading this positivity that do have acne, which is great. But there are still a lot of people out there, and I think the majority that still have major issues with their acne. And it's important yeah. to get professional help for that. Definitely. No, definitely. We should, Absolutely, yeah. We should put some links at the end to some of these um, you know, important support groups and, and websites, um, including the British Skin Foundation. They've got some good videos as well. Um I've heard a lot about the treatment spironolactone. I know it's not yes. commonly on the NHS, but is that something you would prescribe? So um, if you have a patient who's had antibiotics, yeah. if you have a patient who doesn't want Roaccutane, for example, or who has had it, or if you have a patient who you think has purely sort of hormonal acne, maybe they have polycystic ovaries and they really truly have hormonal acne, then you may want to consider spironolactone. And it's a very safe treatment. Um, it, it works reasonably well. Um, you've got to select the right patient for it. It's, uh, it's been around for a long time. And actually, it's, it was originally a blood pressure medication. And we use it in a lot of our patients for blood pressure mm. um, um, control. So it's a safe drug. Um, and I personally have used it many times. 
the results have been mixed. You've just got to select the right patient and it can work really well okay. as minimal side effects. Um, and it's a definite option uh, for patients who don't want maybe the harsher or Accutane or who are also worried about maybe antibiotics or maybe have had the antibiotics. Oh, fantastic. And you mentioned um, polycystic ovary syndrome there. Um, would you yeah. treat a patient differently with that condition? So if you've got polycystic ovaries, so first of all, um, you need to diagnose it. So yeah. you need somebody, a gynecologist, to uh, um, to look at that side of things and make sure that the diagnosis is correct with blood tests or an ultrasound scan. And once you've got that diagnosis, then you need to treat the polycystic ovaries. Mm. And that, again, will be via the, uh, via the gynecologist. The treatments from our point of view often remain similar. So okay. we still will offer them antibiotics or Roaccutane. We may consider the hormonal routes a bit more, so maybe the pill or maybe the spironolactone, um, but the treatments essentially remain similar. And if you had a patient with eczema who also had acne, it's quite difficult to, to treat that, isn't it? Because obviously the skin is so dry, but also oily. Yeah, so eczema, yeah, that's so eczema and acne can be quite tricky to deal with because a lot of the treatments that we give for acne will dry your skin out further. And of course, um, eczema is a dry, itchy skin condition and it will only exacerbate that. Yeah. Um, I think if you give them the right blend of moisturizers with the treatments for the acne, it, you can get a good balance for both the treatments. So it is a lot more tricky, but it's doable. Um, and Roaccutane in these patients can also work, okay. but you've got to give them the right skincare regimes. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Adil Shiraz. Would you like to do your take-home message for the listeners? So, I guess the main take-home message is, if you've got acne, don't suffer in silence. Yeah. Let your GP or your dermatologist know. If you've got a family history of really bad scarring acne, then get treatment early on. Yeah. Um, and Roaccutane is a brilliant treatment for acne. Don't be afraid of it. There's lots of bad press, but it works really well. Mm -hmm. And if you're getting treated from a dermatologist, then they will monitor you very carefully and we can cure your acne. Cool. Oh, thank you so much for thank taking you. the time today. Honestly, it's been really informative. Thank you very much for having me. That's great. Bye. 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 Hey, welcome to the end of the podcast. See, I told you it's a good phrase. So we had a good chat then with uh, Dr. Shiraz about acne. So Ashley, what did you learn today? I learned a lot actually. I, I'm yeah. obsessed with acne to be honest, having suffered with it and still do for many years. Um, I he talked a lot about over-the-counter Yeah, so many, aren't there? Mm, which was good. And about how to get, you know, when you should get referred in for some of the stronger yeah. treatments like isotretinoin and not to be scared of it. Um, it was also interesting to get his perspective on different skin types. And if you've got darker, skin pigmentation, seek treatment earlier, especially if you see the signs of, um, you know, scarring and have, you know, pigmentation, um, because you need to be treated a little bit more aggressively yeah. uh, with treatments. And also uh, what I kind of learned actually was about the huge psychological burden. It's huge. Like, I'm, I'm fortunate enough, touch wood, that I haven't suffered with acne any more than the odd spot. Yeah. But it's not to be underestimated. And also, you know, it is what you experience. If you 
are feeling so low in mood that you can't leave the house because of your acne, it needs treatment. Even though, you know, it might not be comparative, someone else may visually look like they have worse active disease and you should never be embarrassed to seek help. help. And that was my take home. Yeah, definitely. So, Ashley, where can they find us if they want more info? <laughs> So Dermatology UK, the podcast, you can yeah. find us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. That's right. I was testing Ashton then to see if she could remember. Uh, and the Twitter is actually Derm UK, the podcast. Oh, but can. other than that, yeah. nine out of ten, let's say, Ashley. Yeah, Better luck next time. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks very much. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, and if you've got any ideas for future episodes, get in yes, contact with us. Please do, or any questions, we're more than happy to answer them. Absolutely. And until next time, guys, bye. Bye. bye.